0: You are listening to Overcomer's Church International podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Uh, the Lord has really placed something very strong on my heart. Uh, concerning the story of the prodigal son. And if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15, I'm going to share from this today. And this is something, this is my favorite parable in the whole Bible. And uh, just the more I have read it over the years, the more it has just continued to expound and and expand. And God give me more revelation on it. But I think everybody can relate to the story of the prodigal son on some level because we've all been wayward uh, on some level and I mean I mean everybody has been and I've been a believer since I was seven and before that I didn't really do anything wrong hardly and so you know I've been serving the Lord my whole life but yet we've all encountered times we've all had times where we've not done things like we wanted we've been wayward in our mind or our actions or whatever and it's so awesome to think about the fact that God is so loving he's so forgiving he's so gracious and he welcomes us in and as I was uh I was, I was writing, is what I was doing, and uh, working on this particular book. And I was uh, writing some things about the prodigal son and the Lord. As I was writing, He just dropped uh, this revelation, and it's a prophetic word for this time. I'm going to release it to you this morning. That I'm going to teach on um, the story of the prodigal son. I'm going to talk about the younger son. I'm also going to talk about the older son quite a bit. But as I was writing, the Lord told me and he spoke to me and he said, in this great awakening, and in case you haven't been awakened to the fact that we are in the third great awakening, I'm telling you, you watch. It's building. There is more and there's more happening in the earth. And the Lord said during this great awakening, there will be three awakenings within the awakening. The first awakening will be an awakening of reason. This is what's going to happen to people. It's going to be an awakening of reason. They're going to come to themselves and realize that there is something better in the house of God with God than there is in their life. The second awakening that's going to happen in this third great awakening is is an uncommon mercy. People are going to be awakened to the uncommon and unexpected and undeserved mercy of God. The third great awakening... That's going to happen within this great awakening is something that the earth has never experienced before in its fullness. And it's unexpected, undeserved, and uncommon favor like the earth and like the people of God have never seen or witnessed before. And it's coming on the earth. It's coming in our time. And there is, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about how the earth is groaning and it's longing for the, the resurrection of life of God within the saints, within the sons and daughters of God to be manifest in the earth. And when Jesus comes and, and, he, and we're caught up with him, and then there's a time of tribulation, and then after that is over, there's a thousand-year millennial reign. And during that millennial reign, things are going to be put back in order because King Jesus is going to be seated on the throne. But also we, the ones that are possessed with the Spirit of God, We that have been recreated in the image of God are going to reign and rule with him, and everything is going to be set back in order. Praise God. But from now, and really from the cross until that time, there is an increase, and we're seeing this on both levels. There's an increase of darkness in the earth, but there's also an increase of the manifested glory of God working through the saints. And that's what we are going to see. And I believe this is a, a latter time. I believe this is an end time revival. But at the very least, it's another awakening that will overshadow all the other awakenings and revivals that have ever been on the face of the earth. And you don't have to take my word for it. You just watch and see. And As a matter of fact, two of, um, I would consider two of the greatest revivalists in the history of the world uh, next to Jesus, they, uh, nobody compares to Jesus, amen. But uh, these two great men, William Seymour and then also Smith Wigglesworth, they prophesied about coming, and they, they used words that they knew about revival and God doing things. And Smith Wigglesworth prophesied, and he was speaking to Lester Summerall, and he said, and he prophesied about uh, the healing revivals of the 40s and 50s. He prophesied about, and you can go and look all this up and find this, he prophesied about... Um, The the Jesus movement, where all these hippies came in and they got saved, and they came in without shoes and long hair and were drugged out and whatever, and Jesus delivered them from all that stuff. He prophesied about that. He prophesied about the charismatic renewal, and he also prophesied about he saw people, um, and this was you know, decades before it happened. And he saw people sitting with notepads and pens and they were learning about faith. That's what Brother Hagen did and he taught the body of Christ about faith. But then with tears in his eyes, this is Smith Wigglesworth, looked to Lester Summerall and he said, there's coming yet another revival on the earth that will be greater than all of them put together. And I'm telling you folks, we've not yet seen it, but we are on the precipice. We're at the beginning of it. It is happening. Hallelujah. William Seymour prophesied. And he said, now William Seymour died September 22nd, uh, uh, 100 years ago from three days ago. September 22nd, 1922. So he said that in 100 years, there would be another revival that would be greater than anything the world has ever seen. I'm telling you. God is doing something very significant in our day. And here's the deal. And this is what the word of the Lord came when it came to me. He said, there will be three awakenings within this awakening Every awakening or revival at least has the first two, but there has never been an awakening on the face of the earth that has stepped into the third awakening that the prodigal son experienced, but we are going to experience it. The world, for anybody that would say yes, they're going to experience this third awakening. Let me tell them to you again, and then we're going to get into this. Number one, the first awakening within this awakening is that people will come to a place of reason and realize there's something better in the house of God, there's something better with God than what they're experiencing right now the second thing is unexpected undeserved and uncommon mercy mercy is what God doesn't give you that you do deserve grace is what God gives you that you don't deserve we deserve judgment and wrath and punishment we deserve hell but we found uncommon mercy in our God haven't we And there's coming another wave of this. And then lastly, again, the third awakening within this great awakening is unexpected and undeserved and uncommon favor. And when I talk about favor, I'm not just talking about that you'll have a bunch of money. As a matter of fact, I think that the the financial increase would probably be the least of this, although it's included in that. What we're going to see is people stepping out of being orphans and into sons. Because the church has been living, and I'm going to show you this, the church has been living as the older brother for a long time in the house of God, in the house of the Father, never having really taken advantage of all of the benefits of living in the house of the Father, which of course is God, our King. And we're going to step into that, the church is going to step into that, but the church had better be ready. For the wave of prodigals that are coming in, because the wave of prodigals are going to step into something without ever working for anything. And if the older ones aren't careful, they're going to get jealous and harden themselves towards the ones that have stepped into this uncommon mercy and uncommon favor. Let's read this together. And this is what I'm going to read and you're going to listen, but you can follow along. So Luke 15 And verse 11, and I'm going to read a few verses here, and then I'm going to come back and talk about some things. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, And he began to be in want. Then he went and and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, first awakening, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer, to, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is what you call unexpected, undeserved, uncommon mercy. He was expecting one thing, and he got something else. He was expecting to be treated as, I'll call it an orphan servant, but yet the father embraced him because in the father's mind, the son wasn't acting like a son, but he was still a son. There's a lot of people that don't realize that, that just because people have been saved, and then they act unsaved, it doesn't make them not a son anymore. It just means that they're not acting like a son. It means they're not acting like a child. But praise God, the father never changed his view of the son. And let me just minister to your heart, no matter where you've been, the father has never changed his view of you. If you haven't been born again, you better get born again. But if you've been born again by the spirit of God, even when you miss it or blow it, the father doesn't change his view of you. You say, why? I, and people get into all this stuff about like, what happens if we sin and this and that and the other. I don't know. I'm just reading from here, looking at how the, the, Jesus was giving this parable about the heavenly father to kids, to sons. This prodigal son, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, not a son. He was a son. He took what God had, the father had given to him, and he took it, and he wasted it. And you say, well, I don't feel like I've wasted anything. Do you have breath in your lungs? Where did that breath come from? Do you have time in your day? Where did that time come from? Do you have God-given relationships in your life? Where did those relationships come from? God, right? All of those things come from God. Have you ever wasted any of that stuff that God gave you? That's what you call prodigal living. It may not be super intentional, but that's the thing about uh, being a prodigal. Sometimes it's not always intentionally doing the wrong thing, but it's that you're not intentional to do the right things. And if you're not right, you're not right. But God doesn't ever look at us and say, they've done this and this and this. They're out. They're no longer my kid. We, once you're a kid of God, you're always a kid of God. Hallelujah. And I can hear religious people turn over in their grave, but that's okay. Hallelujah. Let me go on and continue reading this. And in verse uh, 20, now this is really important. It says, he arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, and I read that whole verse, verse 21 is where I meant to go. And it says, and the son said to him, Father, now remember, he had rehearsed beforehand what he was going to say to the father. Remember that? And so here he is getting ready to say what he had rehearsed to his father. And he said, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best and all of the stuff. And I'll get into that in a moment. But you notice that there was something left off from here. Because if you go back and read, and in fact, let's go back and look up in verse 18. And it says, this is what he'll say to his father. He said, for I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants, one of your hired servants. Going back down to verse 21, it says, and the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in and, and your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your sons. And then the father interrupts him and doesn't let him finish what he was going to say, which is, let me be one of your servants. The, some translations say that the, the father interrupted the son. And why did he interrupt him? Because you got to remember, this is a parallel of, of in a parable that parallels our relationship with the heavenly father. And he's got something in his mind about us, greater than what we have in our mind about us. And there's, there's something really significant about what we say and what we don't say, what we agree with and what we don't agree with, just like, uh, was it John the Baptist's father, uh, Zacharias, or Zacharias or whatever his name was? Now remember, he was going to say things that weren't in agreement with the Lord, and the Spirit of God shut his mouth for nine months until he could say what he was supposed to say. This was like the Spirit of God was shutting the son's mouth to say, don't you dare call yourself a servant. And immediately, the very first thing that he did was call for a servant. It was almost like the father said, no, 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 you're not a servant. Let me show you what a servant looks like, because when I compare my son to a servant, you don't compare. You're on two different playing fields. Why? Was it because the son was so good? No, he was rotten to the core. As a matter of fact, this is, this is comparing a, a Jewish uh, son, a Jewish people. So not only did he waste all the father's inheritance that was given to him, <laughs> he went and did it with swine. You don't, you, don't, you don't go and mess with pigs, feed pigs as a Jew. They don't do that kind of stuff. It's forbidden. So it was like insult to injury as far as what he was doing as a son that brought a black eye to the family name. He did all of the stuff that he shouldn't have done, but it didn't change his position. Why? Because his position had nothing to do with his performance. It had everything to do with his birthright. It had everything to do with the family that he came from and the fact that the father never neglected to see him the way that he truly was and for who he truly was, which was a son of him. My God, isn't that awesome? Wow. Father, you have our full permission to interrupt us when we begin to spout things that are opposite of what you say of us. You have our full permission and full blessing. In fact, we ask for a spirit of interruption on our tongue. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that at the right time we get the numb tongue and we just can't talk. Amen. Man, it's so good. So let me continue reading. It says, But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. I want you to notice, notice these different things that the father did, and these were, these were gifts, but they were more than gifts. They were expression of position. They were expression of position. The robe... Represents a royal identity. The robe represents royal identity. You understand that these things were put in this parable. So that we could read it. And realize what it is that the Father has for us. And this is, one of the, this is part of the coming into uncommon favor. Is that when we step into what the Lord has for us. Um, it's not. It is about Manifestation. But before that, it's about revelation. Because what you believe is what you will manifest in your life. Thinking determines your faith or what you believe. And what you believe, if you come into agreement with it and speak, will determine what you walk in in your life. And we don't want to just be a, a t- have a title only of being sons of the king. We want to manifest the reality of what heaven has to offer through us because of the revelation that we carry. And it brings the confidence of God that when we walk through this life, no matter the level of performance that we're currently at, no matter how well we're living, that we carry a revelation that we belong to God. And when you put a robe on, and a, a robe is represented, uh, is, represents righteousness, and righteousness is not just about being right with God. This is something that has exploded in my, my heart in the last, the last six months. Is that I, I teach on righteousness by faith, which is basically that you're made right with God through faith and not through your works. I'm mean, not all can agree with that. But the Lord began to really bring my understanding to another level. It's not about just saying or knowing that you're right with God, but it's about taking hold of the position that you have because you are right with God. Because when we first come in, that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Before we walk or before we run or before we stand or do anything else in the Lord, we're first seated. Where? At the right hand of the Father with Jesus in the place of authority. And how are we able to do that? Because we are considered royalty. Do we feel like royalty? No. I mean, you you wake up in the morning just like I do and put one, you know, leg through your pants. You put your pants on the same way. You got morning breath. You have emotions and feelings and thoughts that come to you. You have, uh, you have sometimes have regrets and you have, why did I do that? And you have just moments to where you're like, what's going on here? We don't always feel it, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. Because we live in a kingdom that is not of this world, which means it can't be discerned with how you feel, with your senses, with just how you feel. It has to be determined and discerned through the truth of the word of God. Hallelujah. So when we've been given the the robe, it represents royalty, and the ring is um, sonship and its authority. So the Lord, what he's done is that he's given us the authority to go about this earth with his signet ring, not to punch anyone out, all right? But with his signet ring, and back in that time, it doesn't mean as much to us today, but back in that time, it would have been a ring that would have had a, a signet on it. And you've seen this before, to where they'll put the, the wax on the envelope, and they'll, they'll stamp it like that, and it's like the king's seal, and the thing can be delivered under the king's authority, So literally what he's saying is that the things that we need to operate here in this life, we have the ability to take the king's ring, the authority given to us, and we can put his stamp of approval on it, and it's at our disposal. Every demon is subject to the name of Jesus and to us. Why? Because we're so great? Nope. Because we got the ring of the king. Every sickness and every disease is subject to us. Why? Because we're so great? No, because we have the authority, we have the seal of the king that we can walk in his authority in every place that we go. This is an uncommon favor. It's an undeserved favor, and for many, it's an unexpected favor that we've yet to fully step into, but I'm telling you, the time is coming. The earth is groaning and waiting for the awakening of God's glorious sons and daughters in the earth. You are a glorious son or daughter of the King Most High. And what we need is an awakening to the reality of what God has given us. Of who we really are. He gave him sandals to put on his feet. And this was to separate him from the servants or the slaves. Because back in that time, most likely, servants would not have had sandals And he said, there's no way that you're going to walk in the same way that a servant would walk. Don't anyone misunderstand me because I know some people would say, well, I I thought we were called to serve. Yeah, you're called to serve, but you serve from your place of, uh, of identity, not trying to get identity. Thank you for the one amen over there. Hallelujah. We serve because we have identity. We serve because of who we belong to. We serve because of God in us. We serve because of the spirit of God in us. We don't serve to become something. And so he was saying, Look, you don't have to do anything. You're already my son. Here's some sandals, something on your feet, to prove it. And of course he, he killed the fatted calf, and they were all merry and begin to eat and all of that. In verse twenty-four, it says, For this is my son, um, was for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. This is where I want to hit here for a few minutes. The older son was in the field. Listen, the older son was where? In the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Why wasn't he a part of the celebration? Why wasn't he a part of even helping with the celebration? Why wasn't he a part of it? Well, we can go on and read, and we're going to get a little bit of a clue here. It says, so we called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Here you have a son the same, of the same father. You have another son. Instead of being in, and you got to understand, this is a parable, so all these words are important to give us picture and understanding of the position of these sons. So instead of being in the house with his father, He was out working in the field. Now, there's nothing wrong with working a natural job, and there's nothing wrong with serving and loving people. we got to be able to differentiate that. But this is a picture of of that son was so busy working and trying to work to become something instead of just being the one that the father uh, wanted him to be because he was a son. And isn't it interesting that he didn't ask of the father what was going on? He asked of the other servants what was going on. Why? Because he was closer to people that were working for an inheritance, working for something, than he was to the one that rightly gave him the inheritance. Makes you think about the ones you need to hang around. Because if you have people that are hanging around you telling you, you got to do X, Y, Z before you're going to be accepted by God, blessed by God, loved by God, increased by God, you need to get yourself some new friends. You need to get yourself somebody that has a son mentality and not a servant mentality. Again, do we serve people? Yeah, we serve, we love. Liz and I, our whole life is is devoted to serving people. Jesus' life was devoted to serving and loving people. But his authority and and the way that he carried himself wasn't as one that just walked around serving. It was one that walked around knowing who he was. And he didn't have to work to get into a position with the Father. He was already there. Your friends... Will either be able to help you increase your relationship with the Lord or increase your work to try to get you closer to the Lord. One of them is right of God, the other one is not. And in verse 20 it says in 27 it says, "And he said to him, "Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf." But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Why, did, why was he angry? Why was he jealous? It's because the older, the older son was jealous because the younger got for free what he, he was unable to earn. He was jealous because the younger one got for free what he was unable to earn. There's a reason why the church has been in the, the condition that it's been in for so long. Just when I think, you know, I think the church is starting to get a hold of, really get a hold of the, the gospel, I hear people say stuff and I'm like, nope, we're not there yet. We're not there. We still see ourselves as servants trying to work our way to some type of scrap of crumb that would fall from the king's table that maybe we can just scrape by in this life. Most people still view themselves that way. And the way that you know this is you listen to people talk about the church, you listen to people talk about themselves, you listen to people talk about their family. We have got to figure out how. To get a hold of our royal identity and help unlock whatever is necessary to unlock in our brothers and sisters to help them see their royal identity. Because I'm telling you, there's an awakening coming in the earth where people are going to come out of their fog. They're going to like hit rock bottom and go, wait a second here. This is junk. This is garbage. This is no way to live. And when they do that, they're going to stop having their truth. And now some are going to continue in on it. I mean, you can go and you can study church history and revival history, and you'll have this, this, these awakenings. Entire regions are shaken by the power of God. By the way, in case you're wondering why I'm in Perryville, in case you're wondering why we're also in Bonterre, we haven't come here for a move of Kent. We haven't come here for a move of man. We haven't come here to do church stuff. We've come here to do kingdom business. We have come here for a move of the spirit. And if we don't have a move of the spirit, I don't want any part of it. We're here, we're here on the king's behalf to bring about the reality of what heaven and the king has to offer. We're bringing his domain to everywhere we go. And it's just high time that the ones that already consider themselves to be sons and daughters of God start acting like sons and daughters of God. They get out of the world and the world's garbage and they also get out of a works mentality and they just be because they know who they be and so they act like the ones that they be. Amen. But you're going to see people that will, because you're, you're, and I don't mean you, but whoever is saying this, you know, this term now, like your truth or this is my truth. Folks, there is only one truth. And it's the word of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There isn't another truth. And your truth and your experience is not going to set you free. Only the truth of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit will ever set anybody free. And that's what people are coming. I believe with everything in me. Because awakening is upon us. And the very first thing that has to happen in awakening is that people wake up. And they realize that what they're doing isn't working. This needs to happen in the world with people that are out doing worldly stuff. This needs to happen in the church with people that are just doing churchy stuff. And when I say churchy stuff, I don't mean the good stuff that we do. I mean the things that people do that look good, but their motives are to try to get something from God. we got to come out of that mindset. Because if you're working to try to get something, then you're still acting like a servant. You know what you're acting like even, even maybe more than a servant is an orphan? Because orphans have got this, this they carry this rejection mentality to where they've, and, and, and the natural, of course, many orphans have been rejected and that's a, that's a sad deal. But spiritually, people don't realize it's like, yes, they say yes to Jesus and they're like, yes, God, I have to have you. But they come in And they found a measure of mercy, but they've never stepped into favor. They've never stepped into the fulfillment and the fullness of having all of what God has to offer them. It's because they still think like an orphan. The church isn't full of sons, it's full of orphans. I'm, I'm speaking broad here. I, I know most of you. I'm preaching to the choir here. Right? Amen. You are, you are confident sons and daughters. And you're, that confidence is rising in you. You're becoming more stronger and more powerful, more robust in your faith, more ready to go, more ready to move forward all the time. But as a whole, most people act like orphans. Why do they act like orphans? Or an illegitimate son, maybe? Why do they act like that? It's because they really don't know who they are and what they've been given. It's a new day. A new day is on us. Amen. Now let me continue reading. It says, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Oh my God. There's so much I could say there, but Jesus, I don't have time. <laughs> Listen, let me just say that the father is pleading with, with you and I to just grow up and get over ourselves and just enjoy being with him. Amen. And quit. I mean, to me, this looks like this looks like people that are offended, and the father's like, "Please come back in. I've got great things in store for you." And they're like, "Well, they, uh, they, uh, blah, blah, blah. and that's what—that's all you hear." Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we just bless people like that, don't we? But it really is sad, and I can just see the spirit of God on those people going, "You know what? Will you please come back in?" Will you please make things right with your brother? For heaven's sake, will you please make it right with your brother? Because the world is going to know that you belong to me because of the love that you have for one another. And if you're going to continue acting like an unregenerated, orphan-minded servant of the world, you're going to destroy the witness just because you're offended and jealous and whatever. Most people, and this is, and I, I talk about this in my Finding Kingdom Builders book a little bit, but most people have got um, this mentality to where they come into the church, and this is the problem is, is that it's come from the top down, and God is just totally mixing everything up. But people have come in and they're, they're trying to find identity in what they do. They're scratching and clawing, trying to get to, on the worship team, or trying to get to the pulpit, or trying to get to being in charge of this or that, or whatever, and it's this big fight. Not here, but I've been a part of that. I pastored a little bit of that for a while until I got a hold of some things. But a lot of what happens is that pastors, leaders are so interested in building their own kingdom, they're like spiritual pimps. And they're prostituting people's gifts for their own benefit. Your gifts aren't here to benefit me your gifts are here to benefit to bless him but to benefit everybody else. And if people can come in and find their identity in just who they are and not in their function, not in what they're doing, then instead of their function or their gifting becomes something that is like this catfight of trying to get their place, they just be who they are and instead of being sour, they're sweet. Because nobody wants a sour worship leader. Nobody wants a sour pastor. Nobody wants a sour door grader. Nobody wants a sour anybody. We need sweet people. But if people feel like that they have to be able to like, rise to this level or do this thing before they're accepted or before they have position, if they think that way, those, those, that's where fights start. And most of the time, the reason this happens is because you have leaders over churches who are struggling with their own identity so bad, they've made everybody else's gifting revolve around making their go, theirs go to the higher level. That's not what church is about. Can I get a big amen? All right, hallelujah. Let me finish reading here. It says, so he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. Look at the language here. Oh my gosh. I never transgress your commandment at any time and yet you never gave me a young goat that I make merry with my friends. I want to talk about me. want to talk about I want to talk about number one. Oh, mommy, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want to see. I don't listen to country, by the way, but I do know that song. I, I basically live my life in a song in my head, which on my live yesterday morning. Oh, my gosh. You watched my live yesterday morning. Yeah, you know. Four people? You guys need to watch our live Saturday mornings. Okay, seven people, thank you. Yeah, well, I mentioned something about emotional healing in the Marvin Gaye song, but that it, it ain't emotional healing. And so anyways, so I don't have any identity and whether I'm fully 100% all the time. Perfect. Amen. My identity's in Christ. My dad's laughing back there. We're cut from the same cloth and we... We think in terms of songs a lot, you know, but you don't always get it right. But this guy was singing this song that was all about him. It was all about me. But really, it wasn't just that it was just about him. He was saying, look what I have done. Where's my portion? And that goes to show you that your portion doesn't come to you because of what you do. Your portion comes to you because you know who you are. And you say, well, the other son didn't know who who he was. That's true. But the other son also wasn't trying to earn something. He realized he had hit rock bottom and there wasn't anything else he could do to earn anything because he blew it so bad. The only thing he could do is come in and say, if by any means have mercy and have favor on me, then I can at least have the lowest. There the father had a heart to work with. There he had a life to work with. But when God's got people in, in his possession, his kids, and they're so busy going, Lord, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. He's like, the, the, the father's like, Look, I've got this over here for you, and you're still messing around over here because you think what you're doing is so amazing, but I got this whole other blessed life for you, but you're so concerned about what you're doing, you don't realize what I've given you. And we know this to be true because if you go on and read the next verses here, it says, But as soon as uh, this son of yours came, this is the older brother talking, he didn't call him his brother, he was just angry. <laughs> But as soon as a son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots and killed the fatted calf for him, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. So then the question begs, if everything that God has to offer is ours already, All the kingdom benefits, joy, peace, the fruits of the Spirit, love, gifts, all all of what God has to offer us. And, And I would include all the physical manifestations of what Christ did on the cross. Healing, deliverance, prosperity, increase, all of those things. If we're not experiencing it, we don't need to step back and go, God, why aren't you giving? Because look at what I've done. We need to step back and go, where is my heart positioned at here, Lord? What do I need to see different about me? And probably what we need to do is see ourselves different, and we also need to see God different. Because when you see God different, and you see him for who he really is, it will cause you to see yourself different. When you realize that he is so full of love and grace and mercy... I had an encounter with the Lord multiple times in a row, and I'm gonna finish with this very quickly. And it was multiple Sundays in a row is what I was gonna say, and this happened uh, back several months, and some of you might remember that I would stand up and I would say, I just feel the, the pleasure and the approval of God. I just feel the pleasure and the approval of God. And that happened to me about three Sunday mornings to about an 11-minute drive from my house to here. And every time it just it increased. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what are you doing? Because sometimes the Lord will teach you something and then he'll do what he taught you. And other times the Lord will do something to you and then he'll tell you what he did for you. And this is one of those times when the Lord did something special for me. And then as I asked him, he began to teach me what was going on. And I said, Father, what is going on here? Why, why am I sensing you like your, your pleasure and your approval on me right now? And I was dealing with some, uh, something. I was dealing with something. And I just felt like a failure. It was a circumstance and a relationship and another place, and I thought, I really messed that up. I didn't mess it up, but I thought I did. Hallelujah. I can't go into the details anyways. But I just really felt like a failure. And... And I said, Lord, what are you doing to me right now? And he said, you know what? I'm showing you my best when you think you're at your worst. And he said, I approve of you. And if I approve of you, who are you not to approve of you, Kent? And so you know what I did? I repented. And I, I saw this, I feel like that deserves like, thank you for sharing that, amen. I poured my heart out to you. There's, that's the punchline. I don't know, I repented. That's the punchline, all right? But I saw this Facebook post this morning, actually. I don't know why I was on Facebook on Sunday morning. I wasn't bored, but I happened to see this. <laughs> and this guy made this statement. He said, he said, grace brings humility. Humility doesn't bring grace. I thought, chicken or the egg kind of thing. And it probably goes both ways. When you experience the grace of God and really experience it, it will cause you to come to a place of like, wow, I've been working too hard on my own strength. I'm going to humble myself. But I've also found that when we will humble ourselves is when we will experience the greatest measure of God's grace in our life. And for me, that's, I just live on that place of going, Lord, what do you need to tell me? What do you need me to deal with? What do you need me to get out of the way? Because if there's any and every blessing that the Father has for us as sons and daughters within his domain that are readily available to us, just like the prodigal son, I mean, just like the older brother of the prodigal son that the Father was saying, you've been with me all along and all of this stuff is available to you. Why didn't the son partake of what was available to him? What was he missing? And I think the simple answer is he was still in a performance mentality trying to feel like he had to cross all of his T's and dot all of his I's before things would really work out. I don't know about you all, but I can, rela- I can relate to that. I can relate to it. And when you have the Lord say, I, I want you to do this, or I want you to go to this dire- direction, I want you to, to, for me to pastor and to do the things that we're doing, you know, it can be really easy to look in the mirror and just be like, I can't do this. And the truth is, is I can't do it. And you know the truth about your life? You can't do it. But with God, you can. And Paul found his greatest favor, and he found God's sufficiency and God's strength when he acknowledged, and the, the most translations call it an affirmity. I don't believe that it. it was a sickness. It was just a weakness in his flesh. When he acknowledged that he had a weakness that was limiting him is when he found the strength of God to do the thing that God was calling him to do. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit International.com.